am. I am at my uh, cabin in Colorado for a couple of weeks. I get away to it each year. I have had a home up here for about 20 years. Great place to do some riding and some very good kayaking this year because the water levels are so high. That's where uh, where in Colorado? Uh, I'm in the Rockies above Colorado Springs in the shadow of Pikes Peak near the Arkansas River. Cool. Colorado Springs is really I, I, I went there a couple of years ago because I, I was really interested to see what the headquarters of Focus on the Family looked like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was, it's kind of amazing. There's, well, there's, it's, there's, a, it's a frightening enclave of uh, similarly thinking individuals. Yeah, for, and I, it's hard for me to understand why it became this nerve center for the Christian right, but it certainly is. What's, you know, it's one of those things that, that actually Colorado Springs, it, it struck me that it's so beautiful there. And I feel I feel like there's an interesting thing with religious communities that end up in really beautiful areas. It's it's always it's like Salt Lake is kind of the same thing where you think you, you, something's up with it. You know, it's it, there's a, there's a specific gorgeousness to it. Well, you know, and, and that's certainly one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is they take the land that no one else wanted. You look at most religious utopias, and they are in exodus away from mammon. They're away from uh, Babylon. They're away from development. And, and many times they're being pushed off, such as the case with the Mormons. They're being pushed off the charted nation into a, a great unknown. And in 1847, the American West is so poorly mapped. Uh, they think they're going somewhere in the Rocky Mountains, but they only have this very vague notion of what that entails, getting out here and actually living on the land. Um, right, so and it's like going to space. In, in many respects, that's true. Uh, it, it's as if they were being pushed off an ocean. That would be a more tangible expression for us to understand if we loaded people on a boat and pushed them off at the harbor and said, don't come back. But when they crossed the Mississippi, in effect, that's what they were doing. It, and it also becomes very Old Testament at times. Uh, they perceive themselves as God's chosen people. They're driven off. They flee, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the dens of vice in the East, and they're on the way to a new promised land. The right, first, and, and, to, and to Zion, quite literally. Well, and, and that becomes it. Uh, you know, they are looking for Zion on earth. Uh, a place where when the second coming takes place, uh, Christ will walk the streets with perfect comfort, knowing the people have done his father's bidding. I mean, that's what the concept of Zion is all about. And, and I, I, like, I like also the idea that they, they sort of, they remapped the scriptural things into the, into the red earth. And there's that there's that sense of there's that sense of the colors of the desert, you know, despite the fact that it is kind of uninhabitable. The colors of the desert um, for, the, for the FLDS and in the, in their in their writings, it's it's so important. They're constantly talking about the the earth and the and the mountain and the sand. And there's a, there's a, there's this real awareness of place. That is extraordinarily astute because it does place informs the experience in in not just a tactile sense, but in a very spiritual sense. Brigham Young in the earliest days talks about finding men to match my mountains. And, and so it's a, it's, you're, you're very, very right, Nico, this sense of place. And at the time, you know, this, this is a very localized utopian gathering, and they're bringing people from other lands here. So we're not talking about the 21st century Mormon church, which considers itself global in, uh, in presence. But this place takes on a very 
powerful influence on shaping the people through isolation, but also through the what some would say the beauty, others would say the cussedness of the landscape. Who was it? Who who was it? Who said this is the place? That's that's a that's an in that's that's one of the sort of mythological uh, sayings. Yeah, it's uh, it's uttered by Brigham Young, and there's two people that identify it: Brigham Young and the fellow that was driving his uh, wagon, Wilford Woodruff. Now you got to remember, at this time when Brigham Young first moves into a point overlooking what will eventually become the Salt Lake Valley, he has been sick with Rocky Mountain tick fever for four days and he's been delirious and he's in the back of a wagon now some people say when he was enraptured and in vision as he looked out and he uttered the words it is enough this is the right place drive on um, most people view that as he was wrapped in a uh, divinely inspired vision of all that he could see in that location others more practical including medical doctors say if he had been four days in a wagon with rocky mountain tick fever he was delirious and probably just wanted to get out of the wagon. Right. Yeah, exactly. He, right. He just, he just, and, and right. I've no, had totally. enough. I'm car sick and I want out. Right. Exactly. I'm going to throw up the, um, I, you know, one, one of the reasons I, I first started getting interested in, in the fundamentalist, uh, the, the, in the FLDS communities, cause I, I was born, uh, in, in Sharon, Vermont, which is a, you know, a very auspicious, auspicious place. Um, and we, we we live just a couple a couple of roads up from the from the Joseph Smith um, birthplace, and it's it's so striking to if you if you sort of trace as as they all can, as you know mainstream LDS people can their their families back to that mountainside, all the way across the country, and then and and it sort of shoots out into you know just and I just like the idea of. A story that starts in the same place where you know where I was born that also that gets us to these this extreme border town in uh, in Arizona. It's such an interesting, and so it's so very American. What you're talking about is the very roots of this faith, and this is an American faith. Uh, it's restored on American soil. The the Palmyra hillside where the golden plates where the, where the are presented right. Joseph Smith by the by the the angel, the messenger. These are all American landscapes, and it's as if Jerusalem came to the United States and and nested here and offered the same level of uh, divine spiritual inspiration for for a group of people. It's very very true. So when you hear contemporary Latter Day Saints talking about making these journeys to Nauvoo, Illinois, or to Palmyra, New York, or to Joseph Smith's birthplace. They are going to very sacred ground where they believe something new, wondrous, and divine was revealed. Right. And it, no, exactly. And, it, and it's, that, it's that same kind of intense biblical tourism, and it, and it, but it's all happening here. And this is something that, that Stephen did in the, in the libretto so well, which is that, you know, at the, at the end, when the, when the daughter is sort of yelling at her mother, she says, you know, you taught me how, how the brave pioneers came from, came from the East and got chased out of, chased out of their, chased out of their homes. And, you know, we fought for this and we died for this. And that's the kind of, it's, it's such an, it's such an American thing. And it, it, in, in a weird way, um, is such a split in, from from the traditional sort of European and and narratives of how Christianity looks. It's so it's so fast. I was I was wondering if you if you knew anything about the the LDS Church and their website. They have this amazing art department that has like children's biblical scenes, and it seems like they're they're hiring people to recreate biblical parables as if they're taking place as if they took place in in America. 
Yeah, that's the um, Latter-day Saint school of realism, uh, or realism should be in quotes, uh, because what they try to do is they make the great figures of spirituality seem extraordinarily human and accessible. They are not towering from on high. They walk among us. They touch the children. They um, they they pause in family settings. So it, that's something that's been traditional with the LDS Church for well over 100 years. It's this sense that um, when you are a member of this faith, you walk among all of that. You know, um, Jesus and God's presence in your life is is very real and very profound. And so, um, yeah, it's visually represented. It's also, they, they have done a number of films where they represent this as well, that the divine, for, for many of us, for many mortals, we consider the spiritual or, or celestial or divine aspects so far beyond our control that we can only sit and have coffee house discussions about them. But for Latter-day Saints, all the way back in time, this notion of a connectivity to the divine is very, very real for them. Right. I was wondering the the way it, I, one the one thing that I, I haven't been able to sort of see in my in my research into the FLDS things is is that is the educational materials. Um, and I I was wondering sort of because I I know that there was there was one sort of uh, school workshop work thing that teaches kids how to how to uh, say certain letters and so you know the f sound is like the ph in profit and the, you know it's everything is really specific but I was, i'm wondering if you have you have you seen any a lot of educational documents a lot of a lot of textbooks and things now you're not talking about the deseret alphabet no 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 that, that, which, that, that is that was a failed experiment for many many years ago that um, thing is crazy i love that thing it's so cool yeah um there, there's a wide range of printed materials, and they come from various authors, but the FLDS community has its own printing operation, and, and they have been prolific in bringing out materials over the years. I probably have uh, 40 or 50 different publications, and when we say publications, they are very much an in-house organ. It's like a gazette, uh, right? It's a kind of... Right. It, it's just for the faithful. It's not designed to... Uh, proselyte or carry the message forward to anyone else. Uh, where is, so, is that? Is that in Colorado City? The 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 printing the printing operation. Well, that's where I've obtained the materials. So uh, I've never visited the press, but I've, I've that's where I've received the materials. And uh, their their classroom instruction is done. You got to remember one of the the dances they do is they are split in two by the state line at Colorado City in Hilldale, Utah. They're of course, the right. Same community. And one is in the school districts of Utah, one is in the school districts of Arizona. And for years and years and years, they took extraordinary amounts of state tax dollars to build schools and hire teachers in those communities. And they were subject to the curriculum of those schools and those, those states, except when the children were released during the school day, as each child is, for seminary classes and they walk to the church building that's about two right. blocks away and that's where they're inculcated with the actual religious teachings and it's done and Warren, the, when when warren jeffs was the he was the, he had been the principal of a school that the, what was it, the alta academy is that what it was called right right and that was in salt lake county that was at a time when the flds were uh, 
a large amount of them were living in the Salt Lake Valley and in northern Utah. When Warren Jeffs takes over, he starts calling people back to, um, to the Twin Cities. City. And, and at the time, some people were concerned that this was rather a sinister-looking gathering of the tribe down there. Uh, ultimately, uh, that's subject to interpretation, but people were fearful that, that he was going to create a fortress walled off from society down there and defend it to the death. That, that's right, which, which is sort of what ended up happening in Texas, loosely. In, in, in effect, yes, that they create what they view as a haven as a fortress of faith, which is designed just to be a comfort zone for them. But in effect, outsiders are not welcome. Anybody that crosses into that community becomes viewed as an intruder. And, uh, and I've experienced that in many different settings. And, and the FLDS is one very significant, very high-profiled aspect of the plural marriage community. But there are three or four others that are almost as substantive. Certainly, cumulative, cumulatively, they are greater in number than the FLDS community.